Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Nice Trade Cast on Rotoviz Radio, proudly our friends over at Blue Wire Hustle. Once again, we're another week into the offseason, and nothing is in the books because there's no combine. There's these weird numbers. And this evening, I am missing my partner in crime, Dan Sanyo. Uh, once again, he has 8,000 kids, so things happen when you have 8,000 kids. And so this evening, I am joined by the co-owner and senior fantasy analyst over at Rotoviz. We're on Rotoviz Radio right now, and he's the host of the RV flagship pod on Rotoviz Radio, Dave Cabin. How's it going, Dave? Hey, I'm I'm doing good, man. Uh, glad to fill in for Dan. Uh, excited to be here. How you doing? I I am excited to have you on. Excited to chop it up. Uh, got some exciting topics, and I will admit, um, I went through your Twitter. I scroll. I looked at your um your bio and i looked at your last few tweets and that's how i created the rundown today <laughs> okay i love it i love it no i'm not i'm not an, uh as active on twitter as most so that that gives me a pretty good idea of of you know the topics we're gonna hit so i like it <laughs> there we go <laughs> all right so uh let's get into the show a little bit we're gonna start off the show with some small fantasy news that came out before the show this evening and that was Kyle Rudolph has been cut from the Minnesota Vikings, which leads to the conversation of, is it time for a breakout or a takeoff of one Irv Smith Jr.? Obviously, we thought that some targets would open up with Stephon Diggs moving on to Buffalo. But then they dropped to Justin Jefferson, and he ended up being one of the best rookie receivers ever. <laughs> so, Irv Smith in that Minnesota Vikings offense, what are your thoughts? Does this does this cut? Is, did you see it coming? Does it change your outlook on Irv at all? What are your thoughts on him at this stage? Well, I mean, you don't like to see a guy get cut, but <laughs> right. But it is good from the lens of an Irv Smith enthusiast, right? Because I definitely think this speaks to the fact that Smith is going to be injected now as a much larger part of the offense. What I like is last year he was already at 12% target share, which for a tight end is a competitive number to be at. Uh, and I mean, when I'm doing the projections for Rotoviz this year, I'm already expecting I'm going to have him up around 15 to 16%, which is great because we know that the Vikings are a team that sometimes will like to get things done on the ground. So he's going to need to have that 15, 16% to ascend into that tight end six type of range, which I think that he could do, you know, this year there's going to be a very, uh, concentrated group of guys at the top that drafters are going to be interested in outside of them though. I think that this could put Smith into consideration somewhere around that tight end eight spot. So I'm really excited about it, you know, and as I'm sure you guys have talked about on the show, this was a guy that had a pretty decent profile in his class. He was my third favorite tight end. It was a good class, you know, at Alabama in his final year when he was at 20.1 years of age, put up seven touchdowns, 710 yards. Those are almost receiver like numbers for some players. And that was at a school like Alabama. If you look at our comps that we have in the road of his box score scout, you see guys that have had success in his top 10 comps like Austin Hooper, Jared Cook, Mark Andrews, David and Joku got in there speaks to the type of player 
that he was. I know Njoku didn't work out, but there's a lot to be encouraged and, and, and by. Yet, yet, Dave. Yet. We're not, <laughs> not giving up on Njoku quite yet. <laughs> yeah, so, Wait. I mean, I, I'm excited about this. You know, I wouldn't get too overzealous, but this does set up very nicely. And as we know, tight ends take a while to develop, but we might get a guy in his third year already trending towards the spot where he becomes a substantial contributor for teams. Yeah, and I, I think he's solid for a tight end, but I think that if the hype goes into, okay, he ends up being a top five to six guy, that's where I, I throw some caution here because I think that we've talked about it. This has been my Irv Smith concern for the last 18 months or so. This offense is so run heavy, and before it was, and you still have Adam Thielen and yep. Savon Diggs, and now it's, and you still have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. So, you know, until Thielen stops producing, he's at, at the at best case third fiddle, maybe fourth fiddle behind Dalvin Cook in the passing game. So I, I do think that his ceiling isn't quite what you would want from a, you know, at least in 2021, his ceiling's not where you'd want it if you're drafting a, a top five tight end. But I don't think his price has reached that yet. So I think his price is still palatable. From a dynasty perspective, I think you could probably get him for a late first. I'm not really the type to go and buy tight ends that often, so I'm not paying that late first price tag. But if I can get him for a mid-second, I, I would you know, put the feelers out with that. But especially after the Kyle Rudolph release, you're not getting him for a mid-second. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I agree with that. Like you said, given the fact that he's a tight end and it doesn't look like he's going to be a tight end that is going to be able to entirely differentiate himself, it is hard to put a high valuation on him. For me, I might even be hard to get me to do a second rounder for him. I actually might be in that third round range, depending on, on teams where I felt like I needed to have some youth at the position. There's certain teams where I could make it happen for a second. But I think to your point, in the context of a Minnesota offense, this isn't the type of player that has a tremendous ceiling. So if you are making moves for him, you just have to be cognizant of the fact that he's still a tight end and a tight end that does have that limited upside. Yeah, for sure. And I guess there, there is, you know, not much dynasty value here, but maybe some redraft value depending on where he goes. Do you think there's anything left in the Kyle Rudolph tank, or do you think this is purely a, like, super deep best ball type guy when he signs with somebody? Yeah, so it's tricky with Rudolph because as a fan, when I've just been watching and following along, I, I'm inclined to say there isn't a whole lot left in the tank. Uh, but... Going back to 2019, he still did finish 25% of his games as a tight end one. Not to say that that's some great litmus test, but he has recently put some things together. Granted, we did have that fall, only two tight end one performances in 2020, averaged just 5.6 points. This is a guy that's been in the league 10 years. He's 31 years old. So while I said a couple of things there that were positive, I should note that since the year 2000, tight ends that have been in the league 10 years and are 31 or older. We've only had a total of 29 times where those players have averaged 10 plus points. And that's on just 11 players. Does, does Kyle Rudolph fall into that group of players? Probably not. Those are guys like Tony Gonzalez and other guys that have, you know, really been awesome at the position. So maybe you have a little bit of, um, redraft value in like a best ball league, but, uh, this is going to be a guy who I'd probably, probably rather pass on and try to get guys that really do have upside. Cause that seems like something that for him is going to be very limited regardless of where he goes. Yep. That makes sense. All right. So that should wrap up the Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph talk. Now let's get some auction slash rookie auction uh, talk in here. We talked about dice startup auctions last week and we have our auction enthusiast, Dave in the building. 
So let's talk rookie auctions. Um, yep. So at this point in the offseason, we'll kind of build throughout the offseason here. And in early March, yep. what are you doing in your rookie auction leagues? Are you assessing? And obviously, maybe it depends on whether it's Devi or not. Are you, are you looking at, okay, what what players am I looking to you know piece together enough money to get? Am I look am I, do I do I ha, am I the big fish and I'm looking to get several different types of players? Um, what what is your point in this? I guess I'll start with mine. So yep. for me, from January until mid March, that's when I'm just accumulating all the the ten dollar rookie throw in, the twenty dollar rookie throw in. Anytime I can get a little bit of rookie money thrown in, that's just building my pot to spend more on a top guy. Or, you know, spend, you know, most of my pot on two different guys. So oftentimes, like $60 rookie traditionally will be a lot more expensive. Great, it makes sense. $60 rookie is a lot more expensive than $20 rookie. But also, $60 rookie is going to cost you an asset. $20 rookie is something you get thrown into a trade. So when, when no matter what trade you're doing, whether it involves rookie money or not, try and get that little bit thrown in on top. And you can use that to either build higher and get that top-end guy or just use it to, you know, accumulate more assets. So I think that during this time of year, January to mid-March, that lower amounts of rookie money often get undervalued. Yeah, I I think I agree with that because what I would like to do is, and and like you said, if there's a rookie that I really want to get that in my team I need, I'm going to try to gather up all the cash that I can to go after him. But what I also like to do if there isn't a player that I'm particularly interested in is try to, in deals like you said, get just a little bit extra money. And then what I'll do is as rookie fever really starts to kick in, as we get right up to the draft, that excitement builds, then try to use that to acquire, uh, you know, some veteran type of players. Uh, Because I'm one of those people that really beyond like round one, maybe the first half of round two, uh, I don't place as much value as most players do on those type of picks. Uh, So I'm definitely all about trying to get that money now and then and then move it off or just, uh, you know, make that stockpile to get that one guy that I really want. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. and so I guess we'll, let's move on to, you know, your around more toward rookie auction time. Yep. I think that's where I end up actually, you know, it makes sense, you know, try and buy low, sell high. But that's when I'm trying to possibly trade that in, in late March, early April. I'm trying to trade that rookie auction money for auction money next year. Um, now, obviously, I'm not trying to divest of all of my money, but unless I'm unless that's specifically what I'm trying to do. But people are like, OK, that that auction is a whole year away. I have this shiny new toy. I have this, uh, I'm trying to give a rookie. I have this Trevor Lawrence. I'm trying to get, I need to get this extra $50. And if you can use that to gain a, a future second, if the, the money matches up or get a future first, if the money matches up. So, you know, I'm, I'm using that time leading up to the, to the NFL draft slash reading up to the rookie auction to, you know, c- kind of capitalize on that rookie fever. And, you know, especially if I have a lot of money, because there is one worry when it comes to rookie auctions that if you have too much money, you can end up holding the bag with some of that. And so you definitely don't want to do that. And you want to try and, and the money in early April is going to be worth a lot more than it is on the fourth day of the rookie auction when the first two rounds of players are all gone. Yeah. So question on that, because I feel like listeners might be interested um, in one lens. It could seem like in perpetuity, you're just kind of moving money from year to year to year. 
But it sounds like the thesis is that while you're building up that money, you're also acquiring lower level assets that you're then able to use to kind of transition into other means. Well, it's it's not that I'm trading $50 in 2021 for $50 in 2022. Yep. I'm more so trading $50 in 2021, hoping that it's going to end up being $75 to $90 in 2022. Yep. So, you know, you're taking the time discount. And I think that that honestly varies by, by who you talk to. Some people say that people don't value the time discount enough. People say that you value it too much. I'm more, I, I think that people overvalue the time discount, meaning that they say, oh, I have to wait a year. And they think that, that that's too big of a deal. I'm fine waiting the year oftentimes, especially when I'm getting, you know, 30 to 40% more cash. Okay. Yeah. That makes a, a lot of sense. And I do like the way that that capitalizes on a misinterpretation of present versus future value that people might have. Um, so that is actually also another type of thing that I move that I would try to make. And it kind of goes back to just my general thesis is that it's easy to overvalue rookie picks to begin with. Um, and so generally I feel that, uh, you can kind of play with that to just position yourself better for the next year. And that, I think that really kind of builds upon itself. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I kind of find once you get processes like that going in motion, uh, you're generally ahead of the game as you move into the next season. Yeah. And it, it does depend on the type of league, but oftentimes I'm the type of guy that I want either want to be the big fish. I want to have the most money, the second most money, or I want, I want to be completely out. So if, if I'm, if I'm at this stage of the off season and I have the eighth most money, I'm making a move either I'm trying to accumulate more money so I can make a run at Trevor Lawrence. So I can make a run at Najee Harris, or I am saying, all right, let's just move all this money into 2022, trying to turn, you know, $50 into $75. Yeah. I like it because, you know, also if we think about it, even if that Delta is just 25, right, let's, let's just make it simple and call that Delta the $25, you know, I mean, Really, if you sink that $25 into your current year draft, often what type of asset would you be getting then anyway? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like how valuable of an asset in your leagues, like in your experience, would that be to kind of put some uh, context on it? it, it um, I would say, you know, like a Darrington Evans in years past or um, Zach Moss, guys like that are, right. that are going in the mid, mid, mid to late second. But also, you know, there's examples like you could get Antonio Gibson for $50 rookie and I can guarantee you he's worth more than $75 rookie today. So, but that speaks to a point that we've, we've talked about all the time with picks versus players. Picks don't lose value. Players do. Darrington Evans and Zach Moss are worth less than they were, you know, nine months ago. Whereas that second round rookie pick is worth the same or more today. So there, there is definitely a higher floor with picks, but the higher ceiling is with the player. So it kind of, depends on how you're building your team. I'm often playing with a build my team from the highest floor. And as, as the years go on, that floor just keeps on increasing and it in, in virtue raises my ceiling. But if my, if my floor is like fourth best team in the league, then my ceiling is, you know, dominant basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like all of that. Yeah. All right. Um, and then and talk to, talking about trading for future um, rookie money, I do yeah. think that there's, there is a difference between trading for a rookie pick, trading for a future rookie pick in an auction league and trading for a future rookie pick in the Debbie League. You talked about how you have no interest in, th- in third and fourth round picks for the most part. You kind of have to in auction leagues, not because you're looking to you know get that next third round pick or that next fourth round pick. It's that that 
can be the difference between the 106 and the 108, and that may, might be a tear break in a certain year. So, you know, I'm I'm all, I'm always trying to get you know it, it sounds easier said than done, but like always trying to get that third round pick thrown in, always trying to like do like a, a third round pick for second round pick swap. Those type of things can be a big difference in you know built basically building up your money for a particular year. And like I said, you often want to be either the top dog or near or at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's it's interesting too. In like a regular, like I'm trying to think back to even like to make this very simple. Like maybe when you first started playing fantasy, you were in keeper leagues, and uh, like I played in some leagues where like the worst team got advent. You know, there was advantages mm-hmm. of being the last team. Maybe the next year you got to pick first. Uh, things along those lines. That's a very simplistic sense, but lots of times to me, it comes down to if I'm not right in making the charge, then I'm fine, you know, kind of falling back if need be. Yep. That makes sense. All right. So before we head into our range of outcomes talk, we're going to talk about a player that both of you and I value highly, uh, it seems. And it is one Jamar chase out of Louisiana state. Obviously, he did not play in 2020 due to COVID protocols. Not pro- you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and so he's a year away from football. People are all over Devonta Smith. People are all over Jalen Waddell. Tell the people why uh, they still need to have Jamar Chase as wide receiver one. Yeah, there really shouldn't be any question at all about Jamar Chase being the wide receiver one. There's a number of reasons for that. But to really sum it up, I recently did some work using regression trees um, at Rotoviz. So regression analysis is essentially a way of taking a population of players, identifying the most important traits, and then using those traits to kind of cluster players into buckets through a series of questions. And when you look at these questions, what you're going to find is the two most important things, as we've known for a while, are draft position and youth. And when I take this regression tree that I built, that's looking at fantasy points produced in a player's first three years in the NFL. And I find like the most predictive mix mathematically of traits that a player can have the tree on my regression tree or the branch on my regression tree that, uh, projects the best in the NFL is the tree that has players drafted in round one, which chase will be, and that are younger than 21 years of age at the end of their final season, which if chase had played, he would have been that walks him down a branch. The only player this year that ends in a bucket of players that are expected to get 15 points per game. And then on top of that, if you look at players going back a number of years now, back to 2006, and we filter for just players that were drafted in round one that were younger than 21, you get a list of players that includes Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Jeremy Macklin, Brandon Cooks, Percy Harvin, DJ Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, Akeem Nix, and Kenny Britt. Those players in their first three seasons averaged a combined 14.3 points. There's just no way around it. There's no other player that you can make splits like this for that when you do modeling with that get close to some of these numbers that you get when you do modeling with chase. So to me, I mean, it's a pretty cut and dry case. And I think that we're probably, uh, even if we don't see it reflected in the draft with him going first, he's going to be drafted highly enough that it's going to be hard to ignore. You pair that with the age, you pair that with the production. I just love him. 
Yeah, I put him into the Rotoviz box score scout. His his simulation with a projected draft pick of ten. I think it's a fair place to put him yep. at weighing it in at two oh seven. His comps are Michael Crabtree, Mike Evans, CD Lamb, Brandon Ayuk, Andrew Hopkins, Jeremy Macklin. So some some nice some nice yes. guys uh, to be compared to with Jamar Chase. And like like you talked about with the age, you know he. He's reminiscent of a guy like Amari Cooper, who like was just so good, so young, um, and was you know dominant in the SEC. So yeah, I'm I'm big on Jamar Chase, and I I think that he's so much better than De- Devonta Smith. All, all the stuff with guys who have returned for senior years has shown that those guys are not good bets at the NFL level, and yet people are ignoring that and like, okay, Devonta Smith, wide receiver one, Devonta Smith. If the Dolphins pick Devonta Smith with a third pick, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that you can pick on uh, Devonta Smith for. And I think one of the biggest things is if Jalen Waddle hadn't missed time in 2020, he might be the one we're talking about and not Smith. So like, there's a lot of red flags. There's a lot of things there that when you build the models and you run him through. He just does not score very well. Uh, and again, like you, as you said, so the box score scout, the Sims in there are largely just looking at production. They're not even uh, including, you know, any athletic measurables. And my guess is that uh, Chase will score pretty well when we see his drills, when he's athletic enough oh, yeah, and you start I mean, to put that, this that, together. That, that is the problem with 2021, though, is we're not going to see real drills. We're not going to see real numbers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. I think that we'll be able, though, to do things to kind of control and at least get somewhat of a sense of where the players are. But from what we know of Chase, too, I guess my final point was, like, he does have the athleticism, too, that I think matches these guys that we'll see him comp to. You know, he might not be, like, a 99th percentile athlete, uh, which we won't get to find out. But, you know, the whole package, I think, to me, is just just so good that to even put a guy like uh, Smith in the conversation just doesn't make sense. All right, that was a quick little uh, sign-off. Uh, Nathan and, and Dave all in on Chase here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now let's hear over from our, our friends at Blue Wire Hustle. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand-new program where you can host your own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone an opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover art, Q&As with the Blue Wire top podcasters, access to our community discord, an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site that would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description in the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Once again, bwhustle.com slash join. Once again, uh, we say this every time we read that ad, but Dan and I, if if we had re- heard that ad before we were on with Rotos, we would be s- sending it. That's so cool for anyone who has a podcast out there. Make sure to get involved with BW Hustle. Now let's hear from ourselves. Roto Viz, get yourself a subscription. 
What's up, Rotoviz listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and one of the co-hosts of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Rotoviz Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Rotoviz website, the best tools and content in the business are the best listeners in the business. As always, we do appreciate you listening to each and every show. And if you do have 5, 10, 15 seconds to spare, please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app. It is much appreciated. With all that said, thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Now let's get back to the show. All right, Dave, let's move into one of your babies. Uh, you talked to Urban Pod <laughs> about how uh, you, you are the innovator of some apps on Rotoviz. Um, and this is a, a cool one that I was looking at over the last couple of days. I even talked, I, I tweeted out your article today, even before I knew you were coming on, like, hey, we're going to talk about this on the pod today. <laughs> uh, Range of Outcomes app. Um, so let, let's talk about uh, first what how how are you using it personally how are you using using it to find potential busts or overvalues how are you using it to find steals and undervalues is there something that you're looking for you know there, there's lots of different parts to the range of outcomes app but is there something like if you were to teach a beginner's class to the range of outcomes app where would you send the person first yeah good question the range of outcomes app where i would tell people to go first is go into the tool and then you want to navigate to the chart that is going to show you uh, like a histogram of the player's comps. So to properly kind of paint that picture for people, let me just quickly explain a little bit about the tool. So what it does is it's going to look at a player's stat line from his two most recent seasons. And I have things weighted so that it's looking at the most recent season a little bit more than the season that was two seasons ago now. And then it's looking at, for each position, the statistics that are correlated with fantasy scoring and also correlated between years. And then it's weighting them in a way that's most predictive of um, creating a cluster of comps. That uh, So there's, there's like a blend to it. It's creating a, cu- a cluster of players that you can match that player to, which fit that player's stats, and then also in a way that you're going to get the best prediction of their points in the subsequent season, right? So what, what this chart is doing is it's then looking at those comps and the points that they scored, and it's showing you the number of players that have scored approximately eight points, the number that scored approximately 10, number that scored approximately 12, so on and so forth. And why this is helpful is I used to do this type of analysis, put out the results, and I would include a low, which was like the 25th percentile point total for that player's comps in the 75th percentile, viewing as the high, right? And that has some context. It gives you an idea of, you know, if a player's a really good season, what it might, what it might look like. If the player struggles, what that could look like. But when you chart it out in this distribution, you can get a sense of where the majority of their comps are falling. So what I often tell people is I think that we tend to think about upside wrong and we have upside presented to us in a way that isn't correct. Upside is generally viewed as a player's absolute best outcome, but very often that outcome, if you play a hundred seasons for that player is only going to happen two times. So what I like to see is I go to the distribution. I see where the majority of it is falling. You know, if you have a lot of players 
for one guy that are falling or a lot of comps for one player that are hitting between 15 to 18. Uh, but he doesn't have many going up to like, you know, the 25 range that still might be better than a player who has one or two comps that hit the 25, but the majority of their comps are down between 10 to 12. So that's how I tend to view upside. And I feel like the, the, the best takeaway you can get of trying to realistically generate what a player might do in a season is you go into that chart, you go into that distribution and you see where the majority of their comps are falling. Does that make sense? Do you think I need to give any yeah. clarification? So I'm, I'm going to present a situation here and yep. you can tell me how, how, how this makes any sense. So it's using past performance. So one thing that I'm going to talk about Irv Smith for a second. So yep. we talked about Irv Smith. And obviously he had a huge depth chart change with losing Kyle Rudolph, who was a tight end one, a one B situation. Yep. So that's not accounted for in this app and therefore wouldn't be accounted for in his projections. Right. Yep. So, so cur- currently just looking at, at the app hit his most similar, um, his most similar scores are there's six or six points per game, eight points per game. And five points per game. Those are the three uh, the three most likely comps. Yeah. So do you take situation changes and try and, like, weight them? So, like, if a guy loses heavy competition, like, oh, well, like, he's probably going to be more towards the higher end of the spectrum. Or if this guy didn't, if this guy, you know, let's say um, the, the Lions with on Johnson a couple years ago. Like, you know, on Johnson was projected to score this many points. And then when Swift came in, it went to, you know, negligible. So – does how how does situation change impact is basically what's what's the you know issue i guess with relying most solely on past production right yeah it's a great question um that is definitely something that the tool can't capture and it can't capture if there are going to be significant changes to other player on a team so what i generally recommend to people is you still have to look at it on a case by case basis. So I view the range of outcomes tool as just like one input into my overall evaluation of a player heading into the season where you can also um, use it, though, is you might be interested in looking at some of the efficiency stats that those comps generated mm-hmm. and then kind of saying to yourself, OK, if I know there's going to be this uptick in the usage that he's going to have. And I apply these efficiency stats. What might that look like? The other thing you can also do too, if you know, there's going to be this big change, then perhaps in the distribution, you just focus on the high end of it and see what that might have looked like. Um, but yeah, there's certainly limitations to it, uh, which is why we also have to have some type of subjective projection that we have up on the site because there's really, it's very hard to, use models that are grounded solely in historical data and don't have any subjective input um, that can account for team uh, changes. So yeah, that's like a a really good point to anybody that's listening. And then sometimes you have, um, (laughs) you know, it's funny too, like a couple years back when Alex Smith played his final season for Kansas City and he absolutely smoked things, um, I answered so many questions when he then moved to Kansas or to Washington as to why he was still projected so high. And I'm like, no, like, you know, the tool doesn't realize that he's changed. So that is one of the shortcomings. 
And now I'm looking at um, the guy who you just wrote an article on, um, Justin Herbert, looking at some of his matching players that are looking at his 2020 stat line and trying to find previous instances that has had a similar stat line. And basically, you know, you can kind of look at, okay, well, what did that guy do in the, in the year after or around that same time? And some of Herbert's top, uh, top matches are 2014 Andrew Luck, um, pretty good. 2019 Patrick Mahomes, very good. 2015 Blake Bortles, eh. And 2016, Aaron Rodgers. So certainly some nice company. I mean, it, it doesn't take a rocket science to say, hey, like Justin Herbert's 2020 season is going to have some nice comparables. But it is nice to see, you know, th- those type of guys being his top top matches. Yeah, that's one of the other things that I really like to use the tool for um, is to get a sense, especially in players early portions of their career, the type of players that they would like, because I do believe with some of the analysis that I've done is it helps you to get a sense of where that player might be headed, not just in their subsequent season, but overall. Uh, And like you said, with a player like Justin Herbert, it's not surprising at all that you're going to see some really impressive names popping up for him. But for players that were maybe average, uh, you know, it's going to be a little bit more instructive of what you might expect. Uh, you know, it's also interesting, too, because the tool is looking on per game numbers. So Joe Burrow, we didn't get to see a full season of what he might have looked like. You can go in and you can see Andrew Luck's first season match to him. Jameis Winston's first season. Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott's Andrew Luck's Kyler Murray's Blake Bortles is in there. Uh, so I also like it because if you get too overly enthused about a player, you can see. All right. There are players historically that put up numbers like that player did and then ended up kind of flaming out. Uh, But, you know, in the case of Barrow, I think if you look, there's more players that would get you excited than not. Uh, But that's kind of how I spin this into a dynasty context, too, by getting a sense of a player's early production. What cohort of players does that put him with? Yeah. And you could you could also use it. And let me you can let me know how this fits. But I think you could also use it to looking at a disappointing player and then seeing that there's plenty of good players that have disappointing seasons. And this list is not going to inspire confidence here, but here is two of his 2020 matches. We have 2014 Dalton, 2012 Ponder, 2018 Darnold, 2011 Freeman, and 2016 Wentz. So there, there's some bust there for sure, but there is some talent. Like It's not like that list of players is devoid of talent. Um, so I, I think that a lot of things have to go right to, to, for us to see You know the current, like, you know, peak Tua is a high of 21.8 uh, as far as a projection. It, a lot of good things have to happen for us to hit that. But I do think that, you know, there there are ways to use this app to find a reason not to give up on somebody. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, we also have a tab in the tool that's called like the year over year change. And what that lets you see is visually like a bar chart that's going to show you if the players comps lost points in the next season or produced more points per game than they did the prior season. And what you're going to find lots of times is players that struggled in a year. They have more players or more comps that produced a lot more points in the subsequent season. Um, Whereas guys that perform very well, you know, lots of times it's hard to hit those levels again, but with the players that you might be disappointed about, I mean, to your point, you could pop in and for two, you could see that a lot of his matches did improve in the coming season. He had some that got over, you know, like a five point per game increase, which maybe that isn't the biggest increase in the world. But if you were super worried about a player, it might make you realize that there are still avenues he could go down where he is not going to become a bust. 
Yeah, for sure. And when you, you and there, there's a bit of optimism slash pessimism there. But yeah, like you talked about, like when you have a more high end player, there's going to be so many more range of outcomes where the points decrease than increase. So, for example, Travis Kelsey, I'm, I'm like eyeballing here, but it looks like out of his 50 possible outcomes for next year, only 14 of them aren't below his 2020 output or 20, yes 2020 output but that's yeah. because he was a ridiculous 2020 output so it's very hard to go above that therefore it's basically roughly 20 percent of, of those outcomes are going to be higher than that yeah exactly and, and that's one of the things you have to keep in mind if you're somebody out there that pops in and starts playing around the tool or starts playing around with the tool because lots of times it's exactly like you said there's only a handful of players that approach what kelsey did uh, so it's very hard to find historical precedents of players like that to begin with. And then the pool of players that actually would have improved when they're matching, you know, such a superb season is is very small just because it's hard to repeat. And then you'll also have some issues where some of the comps, they reached the point in their career where they started to fall off or maybe they were kind of hampered with injury that season or there were some variables that changed. So when you look at the year over year change, it might be kind of sobering. Um, but I think that the takeaway is the fact that um, there is this range of outcomes and you don't have to say, all right, like every player went down for Travis Kelsey. This is really, really bad. You just say to yourself, all right, there is not much room for growth for Kelsey to improve. But still, if I go back to his distribution, I'm going to see that he has a lot a lot of his comps going over 10, a decent amount going over 15 seems reasonable that he's probably going to be able to approximate what he did last year. All right. So let's wrap up this talk with just a, a simple, is there a guy through your, you know, your initial look at, at, at 2021 projections slash looking at the uh, range of outcomes app? Is there one guy that screams buy low? Is there a, a guy that screams sell high at this point where like, Oh, though, like his, his comps are not looking pretty for 2021 or his comps are looking really good based on, you know, in comparison to what people think about him. Well, you know, one that might be interesting is Keenan Allen. And I, it just stood out to me because right now in the historical distribution score, which is this score that I use, it's kind of like this uh, equation that tries to encapsulate a player's full range, like distribution, his full range of outcomes into one number. He's a top 11 player. Now, maybe that doesn't seem very radical to people, but I do feel like for whatever reason, Keenan Allen is one of those players that people have felt has been old for some time, even though he isn't really super old and he's still performing very well. And then right behind him, you have Will Fuller, another player that people like to get down on. But Will Fuller, it goes back to when he plays, he puts up crazy numbers. Now you have the question of, is Deshaun Watson going to be there or not? It might seem... And Will Fuller's free agent too. Oh, right, right. Um, so it likes Will Fuller a lot. Um, and I guess where I'm going with this is I can see people coming up with a lot of reasons not to like Fuller, but that was one name that stood out to me. If we move things back a little bit, Robbie Anderson, right? He still fares pretty well in this. He's a top 36 player. I know that uh, it was easy to kind of, or uh, let me say it differently. Like he started off last year's really smashing, then kind of fell off. I believe that there has to be positive touchdown regression for him. He didn't score that many touchdown passes. Uh, so he just stands out as a name that if people are forgetting about Robbie Anderson, maybe they shouldn't, you know, playing alongside DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, 
that might be something where it's easy to kind of forget about him, but he scores very well in the tool. Um, as far as players that, uh, did you ask about any players that were overvalued? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was like, is, is there someone that, but just to hit on your, your points with, uh, Keenan Allen and Wilfo and Robbie Anderson, I think that a lot of these guys are going to just because the tool basically is only using production, only using numbers. It's going to be, you know, guys that are always cheaper than what their points are, are, are worth, you know, Keenan Allen classic guy where you're always like, if you're trying to sell Keenan Allen, you're not going to get what he's worth in trade. If you're trying to sell Wolf Fuller, not going to get what he's worth in trade. So, and Robbie Anderson, like, he, even though he, you know, the hot started season, people really don't consider him a dynasty asset. Like, I don't think you can get even like a second form in most leagues. Like, I, I got traded like a late second form during his peak. Like, during the time he, he was ascending, I was like, okay, I'll give us a late second because I needed some wide receiver help. So, essentially when you're looking at, at the app and you're thinking about, okay, who are these guys who score points, but for some reason that the, the dynasty value, the dynasty ADP doesn't, doesn't correlate. Yeah, for sure. So there is one player, especially at quarterback, which if you looked, you might've known, uh, might've noticed that is, I would say like why, like performs much, much better, maybe even wildly higher. Uh, he comes out than he should. And that's Tom Brady. Uh, and the reason for that is, there are only so many players that this tool can comp them with for a couple of reasons. It does look at experience because it's it's trying to detect if there's points where players just fall off. There are not many players that have played a million years in the NFL, right? So it ends up matching him with a lot of his own seasons with Drew Brees, who's played a long time, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers. These just happen to be guys that have a lot of very high-scoring point seasons, so you do have to be careful with players like him because in his historical distribution score, he comes out as the third ranked passer. And I really don't see that as a very good prediction. So you do have to be careful with some of these guys outside of that, though, if you pop over to like if you're looking at running backs, right, you're going to see and act, th this is such an interesting one. So Matt Friedman and I in our show have talked about this a lot. James Robinson's going to come up as a top 10 running back in this. What are your thoughts on Robinson? Because that it, that seems like it actually might be a legitimate prediction if you're only looking at last year. But as you've said, when things change and that's not getting picked up, that could be a big problem. We have him in this offense now, Urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence, do they go to a different running back? Like, what do you think of that? So my thoughts on Robinson are the same as my thoughts on every seventh round or UDFA running back we've had in, in recent years. And it's that they have such a wide variance because they could lose their job by week three or they could be Arian Foster. Granted, there's very limited amounts of, of Arian Foster, Matt Forte's, those type of guys. Wait, Matt Forte might, might have been early draft capital. Um, but Anyways, basically, there's very few guys that have sustainability at that late draft capital or un undrafted draft capital. But I will say that if they don't invest at running back, which is a possibility because they have lots of needs, if they don't invest at running back, and that that offense is going to be pretty good. You're going to have Trevor Lawrence, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chanel. Like, there's going to be enough pieces there that the running back is going to be a valuable piece. So I... I'm if I'm if I'm betting like who is going to be the highest scoring Jaguars running back, I'm going to pick other, not James Robinson. Yeah, but, yeah. But if he is, then he's going to be a top ten. Like if he's the RB one, he's going to be an RB one in fantasy. If he's not, then you know he's way overvalued right now. 
Yeah. And it doesn't, I almost like, he's one of those that makes me want to go back and try to add in a variable of draft capital into this just to see what I would get to see when those players fall off. That actually has my, the wheels in my mind turning. I almost want to go try that. Uh, you know, one more name I want to point out of wide receiver that I think might be a little overvalued in comparison to where I would actually take him going forward. Tyler Lockett uh, comes in around wide receiver 18. I have some concerns, though, when I look at that Seattle offense, when I look at the way that Tyler Lockett's production was put together and the way that offense might be constituted, that I start to worry also with the idea that Russell Wilson might be unhappy, might be leaving. So maybe, you know, in redraft and in dynasty, he's a player I'm not super enthused about in comparison to where this would project him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I will say that I think that his dynasty value has kind of dropped off. Like, I haven't seen any Tyler Lockett trades going a- across the banner anytime recently. And I think that's because people are like, you know, it often happens with the older running back. Like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, ride this till the wheels fall off. Like, I have Tyler Lockett in a number of places. And I certainly didn't think this time last year that I'd be saying this in 2021. But at this point with Tyler Lockett, I'm riding it until the wheels fall off. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you do reach that point with some players where you're just not going to be able to get back the actual value that they might have. And that kind of goes back to, I feel like, what you were talking about with Will Fuller and Keenan Allen earlier. So that kind of brings it full circle. Yep. All righty. That should wrap up our talk on the Range of Outcomes app. Thanks so much for hopping on, Dave. Uh, anything to, to plug before you head out? Obviously, uh, co-owner Rotovis. Uh, thanks, bo- <laughs> thanks, thanks, boss, for letting me have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, no. Uh, I would just recommend to people go to Rotoviz, check out all of the awesome work being done by so many different people. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of tools, a lot of coverage about these prospects coming out um, that you're definitely going to want to see. And also go check out that DCC rookie guide. Uh, volume one is out. Volume two. It's hard exactly to say when that will be coming out, given the fact that uh, there's no traditional combine this year. Uh, but yeah, just check out all that Rotoviz stuff. I was glad to pop on. Appreciate you having me. Alrighty, that should wrap us up for this evening. Thank you so much, Dave. We'll see you guys next week. Kadoosh! Um, as, as you might see, my cat currently is attacking my webcam and uh, we'll, 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 you know, in a couple of minutes, probably be attacking the mic, something he loves to, uh, but I digress. So.